Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Let me give you a quick announcement. First of all, welcome to our family, to our friends. I see a lot of faces that I have newly met or haven't met yet, and it's so good to see you. Make sure that you stop out to our welcome center and uh, make sure you're greeted. You're our honored guest. So the month of June is upon us now. We have just finished a teaching series called We Are One, where we dug into the idea of church unity and how the Lord, through Jesus Christ, builds that in this place. And the month of June is going to be a little bit different. We're going to take a break from a specific series for a couple reasons. I want to tell you about them. First of all, there are a few subjects that are on our heart and our mind that I just want to share with you that haven't really fit into a particular teaching series. So I'll share uh, one today as you see on the screen here. The second thing is, um, in a few weeks, three Sundays from now, we are having a Friends Day, as has been mentioned before. I want each of you to be thinking about somebody you could invite to come and spend a Sunday with us. We're going to have a great service. We're going to have lunch provided right afterwards. It's going to be a time of joy and fellowship and worship, and we want to make sure we uh, extend that invitation in June to do that, June 23rd. The other reason we're taking a pause right now is that collectively we're just taking a deep breath. Our elders over the last month or so have engaged in conversation with you. Many of you have engaged with some conversation with them about some of the very core values that are going well here and some of the hopes we have for the future in this place. And I'll tell you that we're entering into a season of prayer over that. We're seeking God. We want Him to lead us, direct us, show us exactly who we're supposed to be. And starting in July, we're going to preach for two months on the subject of prayer. We're going to learn about the uh, mechanics of prayer And we're going to see from Scripture exactly what God calls us to be praying for, what our prayers should really look like. And starting in July, we're going to ask you as members here to begin a 60-day journey of serious prayer for this body here. And so with that said, in the month of June, we're going to pick up a couple subjects that just kind of fit by themselves and learn from God, and uh, then we'll get into prayer in July. Today I'm bringing you to a story about a man who is just completely exhausted, run down, wore out. He's a man of God, committed, zealous, strong in his faith, service, and yet he's worn down. This idea of exhaustion and finding renewal is vital because life is heavy. You live long enough, you're going to get exhausted. Something difficult is going to come down your path. Something challenging is going to raise itself up against you. And things in life are important. People are important. And life can be difficult. And our story today is all about a guy who pushes himself to the limit of complete exhaustion. And in the strangest way finds renewal from God himself. And I want to lay this story before you to understand both where exhaustion comes from but also where we can find real renewal. So to start with the source of exhaustion, where does it come from? And I want to bring you back to the story. We picked it up in chapter 19, but really it starts back in chapter 17. Uh, But I didn't want to make Dan read all of 17, 18, and 19, so we just read chapter 19. And at this time in history, Elijah's the prophet, and things have just gone off the rails for the nation of Israel. 
King Ahab is the king of Israel. His wife is Jezebel. And they have led Israel into serious adultery. Uh, idolatry, pardon me, idolatry. They probably had some of that going on too. But about three and a half years before this moment that Ahab meets with um, Elijah, Elijah had told King Ahab that there was going to be a drought. And then he, for about three and a half years, and he leaves and he's gone and he's out of the city and he's living by himself. And then life in Israel just got really bad. It was in turmoil. And what you see in the nation of Israel is that there are people seeking after divine connection. But they don't know where to turn. They live in what's called a pluralistic society, meaning that there are many options of gods, much like the world we live in today, where people are hungering for sort of divine significance, but they don't know where to turn. This was going on in this world today because of the idolatry that was going on. So Elijah decides to make his move. He comes back into the city, and he finds Ahab, And he challenges Ahab and the prophets of Baal. He says, you bring your 450 prophets, and we're going to have a throwdown. This is his, like, Rocky IV moment. You know, he's going to fight Ivan Drago, and this is going to... No Rocky IV ref? Okay, all right. Never mind. This is a big moment for Elijah. This is like he's renting out Ohio Stadium or Madison Square Garden. And he says, we're going to do this in front of everybody. You take your sacrifice, you prophets of Baal. I'll take my sacrifice, build an altar, cut up the sacrifice, put it on the altar, and whichever God comes down and consumes that sacrifice is the real God. Let's let everybody see. He does what kind of all of us want to do sometimes, right? And just stand up and prove God is real and put the seal on it and prove to all the doubters that God is here and God is real and God is someone that you should believe in. And so this is his big watershed moment. And the whole city comes, and guess what happens? Elijah wins. The prophets of Baal put their sacrifice on the altar. They wait all day. They're crying out to God. They're they're gods. Please come. They start cutting themselves. They're losing their minds. And then Elijah puts his sacrifice on the altar, douses it with water. It's soaking wet. And the presence of God comes down in this all-consuming fire and laps up every last drop of water in the whole sacrifice. And the people are like, whoa, your God is the God. God of Israel, Jehovah, is the God that we should serve. And they're in all of it. And then Elijah says, go get the prophets of Baal and kill them all. All 450 are killed. And so here's this moment in Elijah's mind. He's stamped God's imprint upon this place. He's declared that God is the one. He knows that he's just stirred up some stuff with Ahab. He knows it. He knows he's probably a marked man. But he goes back to the capital because he's expecting something. Either Ahab and Jezebel and the people have repented because of this great declaration on Mount Carmel that God is the real God, Jehovah, Or at least the people of Israel would be so stirred up that they would kick Ahab and Jezebel out. And so he knows his life is on the line, but he's confident because this is the moment that Israel is going to turn back to God. He's certain of it. And he makes his way back to the capital. And guess what happens? Nobody really cares. Nobody. Big surprise to him. No one is impressed. And now he's a dead man. Jezebel says, as an oath on my word, if you are not dead by the end of this day, I will die. 
She makes it. She promises them he's going to die. And at that moment, Elijah takes off. He runs away and he hides. He's despondent. He's depressed. He's so disappointed. We see in verse 3 of chapter 19 that he has decided to quit ministry. He's done with his prophet work. It says in verse 3 that he left his servant and he went farther into the wilderness. That's like um, a minister letting go of staff, basically, saying, like, okay, this is done. My ministry's over. You guys stay here. I'm gone. I'm leaving. Verse 4 says that he considers taking his own life. Now, I want to pause and make a side note because our audience here, rather large audience, and I'm certain that this is true of somebody in here, have maybe thought about the same things that Elijah was thinking about. He wanted to die. He was done with his life. He contemplated suicide. But I'll have you notice this about Elijah. That even though he considered taking his own life, Elijah did not believe he had the right to take his own life. Elijah knew that life came from God and belonged back to God. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That life comes from God. Now, Elijah was depressed and despondent. In fact, he was asking God. Look in verse 4. He said, God, I want you to actually take my life. I want to die. I just want to point that out. That life is bigger than you. It comes from something bigger than you. It comes from God. It belongs to God. It has purpose from God. And even if you are down and despondent like Elijah, that life belongs to God and can only be taken by God himself. And in verse 5, we see how exhausted he is. He finally just falls asleep. Now, some people believe the placement of this story, chapter 18, the great success of Mount Carmel, chapter 19, the depression, is bad editing by whoever wrote the book. Some, some commentators who are smarter than you know, they think they are um, think that this is bad placement because how could you have such a big success in chapter 18 and such great depression in chapter 19? There's no way he could be in this condition, right, after such a huge success. And they're missing the point. What caused such exhaustion for Elijah? What do you think made him so worn out, so despondent, so down in the dumps and depressed? Why was he so exhausted? You see, Elijah's exhaustion came from giving maximum effort and receiving minimal results. He had high expectations for what was going to happen after Mount Carmel. And when it didn't happen, the air came out of everything. You see, what happened to Elijah was that it wasn't that he worked hard and was tired. It wasn't that he gave a lot of effort and grew weary. It wasn't that he was trying and trying and just wore out of trying. That's not what happened. What happened was he got results that he didn't want. It wasn't the effort or the work or the trying that exhausted him. It was disappointment in the results. He wanted and expected something different to happen. And when it didn't happen, he gave up. He felt like he failed or even worse, maybe he felt like God had failed him. And so when what he wanted to have happen didn't happen, he was tired and exhausted and worn out. And you know, oftentimes that's really the source of our exhaustion. It's really not hard work. We're actually built to work. God designed us. Genesis 2 says that Adam worked in the garden before sin ever entered the world. You were created by God to give effort, to work, to try. It's really not effort and work and trying that exhausts us. 
It's unmet expectations that result in disappointment. We want something to happen, and when it doesn't happen, we feel like giving up. And that's where Elijah found himself. So I want to show, secondly, how did God respond to Elijah when he was exhausted? And one of the things that's so beautiful about God, the way that he responds, is that he is so wise. He's so patient. He's so multidimensional, the way that he comes and ministers to Elijah. Now listen, we need to learn from God right now how to care for people who are worn out. Let me show you. God knew that Elijah had physical needs. You notice that he let him sleep, and then he cooks for him. When he shows up there, Elijah had fallen asleep, and God doesn't just come shake him up and say, hey, man, we got to pray. you got to have a Bible study. Let's go. we got to figure this out. He lets him sleep, and he cooks for him. And he wakes him up, and he says, Elijah, wake up. you got to eat. And then he lets him fall back to sleep. You see, sometimes when you're exhausted, you just need to rest. Your body just needs to rest. Your mind needs to shut down for a little bit. You need to take a walk, you know, somewhere outside in nature. You need to just take a deep breath, listen to some good music, pause for a moment, eat a good meal. Sometimes we just need to physically rest and pause. You know, that's what Sabbath is all about. When God made the Sabbath and said, I want you to keep it, and then we have now Sabbath in Jesus Christ, the whole point of Sabbath was not to take a nap. It was not to cease The whole point of Sabbath was to recenter your reality around the fact that you don't keep the world spinning. God does. God is bigger than us. And so sometimes we just need to rest. And God knew that he had physical needs, so he let him sleep, and then he cooks for him. God knew that Elijah had relational needs. So he comes near to him. His presence is among him. And the angel of the Lord actually just touches him. He knew he had some relational needs. There's power in presence. There's power in just a gentle hug or a squeeze of a hand to remind somebody that it's going to be okay. He knew that Elijah had psychological needs. That's why you see God asking him questions and then letting um, him answer. You notice that God says, Elijah, why are you here? And then he says again, Elijah, why are you here? And he just lets Elijah start talking. And some of the things that Elijah says are not true. They're not accurate. Elijah says, I'm the only one left. And we know that at the end of the story, that's not true. But he just let Elijah sort of get it out and talk, and he listens to him. Ultimately, he knew that Elijah had spiritual needs. And eventually, in that still, small whisper, he brings his word to him, and he renews him. Look at Elijah's response to exhaustion. This is important for us to see, too. Elijah does stop. He does rest. He does receive from God what is being offered to him. So as you and I think about how we minister to people who are in exhaustion, we need to learn from God. Be more like God. Take action early to relieve burdens like letting people rest or bringing them food, which is a wonderful thing to do, and then maybe being ready to bring words of comfort and instruction later. When you are in need of care, when you're exhausted, learn from Elijah. Take a break. Receive the ministry being offered to you. And now once Elijah eats and sleeps a couple times, he's strengthened by the food of God, and he takes a journey for 40 days. If you notice there in verse 8, it says that he went to Horeb, the mountain of God. You may not recognize Horeb because it's another name for the same mountain called Sinai, where God had showed up for the nation of Israel and brought his word to them. It's the place where Moses himself went into the cleft of the rock, And he said, God, I want to see your glory. And God passed by and covered his face so that he could see his glory. 
Here's what Elijah was doing, and this is a great thing to learn. Elijah was seeking the presence of God. He journeyed for 40 days. When he was restored in his strength and his vigor, when he had slept and he had ate, he didn't just go right back to work. He sought deeper and deeper to find and to know God. So he went to the mountain of Horeb or Sinai so that he could come and see God. And it says in verse 9 that he came to a cave or the cleft of the rock. This is a familiar story. It's similar. You probably remember back in Exodus chapter 33, this is the exact same thing that Moses did. Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and Elijah was traveling back to exactly where Moses was. Because he knew this mountain is where God showed up, and this mountain is where God gave his word, and this mountain is where Moses was able to see some glimpse of the glory of God, and Elijah knew he needed that. He said, I want to see you in all your glory. So if you go down to verse 11, look what happens. This is where the source of this renewal comes from. This is how we find renewal. In verse 11, God tells Elijah to go out of the cave. So he's in the cave, and God says, I want you to come out and stand before me. And then there's a great and mighty wind that comes that breaks the rock of the mountain. But God is not in that wind. Then there's an earthquake that shakes the earth. But God is not in that earthquake. And then there's this massive fire that comes down. But it says God is not in that fire. And then there's a low, quiet whisper. A still small voice. And in that is God. And what's God doing here? Contemplate with me for a minute. What's God doing in this moment with Elijah? He's in this cave and the wind and the quake and the fire. But then a whisper of a voice. What's God doing to Elijah? What God is doing is kindly renewing him in his strength. He's doing it in a few ways. Number one, he's doing it by the wonder or amazement of his grace. How God connects to Elijah in this story is so important for you to remember. Yes, God has shown up to his people in mighty wind. This is what he did with Job at the end of the story of Job. God says, come out here, I'm going to question you. Like a man, you're going to answer me. And he shows up like a mighty storm in Job. God had shown up before in an earthquake. The people of Israel in Mount Sinai, after they received the law, the earth shook and God's presence was there. So God has shown up in an earthquake. God has shown up in a fire before. Moses, when he called him, was a burning bush and God was in that fire. But here he's telling Elijah, don't put me in a box. I may have shown up in a wind, or I may have showed up in fire or earthquake before, but don't put me in a box like that, Elijah. You see, a lot of our disappointments come from expecting God to do the exact same thing with us that he has done with somebody else. We look at other people's lives, we see something that has transpired for them, or something they've gone through, and something has come to their life, and we say, okay, God does that for them, and I expect him to do the exact same thing for me. And Elijah showed up to that mountain wanting God to display himself in some manner and he says, I'm going to do it completely different. You see, God is reminding Elijah, Elijah, I didn't let you down in this moment. It's your plans that let you down. Your expectations of me that let you down. I have plans for you, Elijah, that are bigger, greater, and better, and different. You got to learn to listen to me, not just put me in a box. Secondly, God shows him by the work of grace. God is teaching him the gospel in this moment. 
Elijah believed that his faithfulness should merit the outcome that he had wanted. If you listen to Elijah, the way that he talks, he says, God, I've been faithful, I've been zealous, I've done the right things, and what I wanted didn't happen. Now watch subtly. That's not the gospel. Meaning, God, if I do A, B, and C, I want D as an output. I've done my part, now you do your part. Now that's a dangerous proposition to play with God. You do not want a transactional God. A God that just gives you everything that your life merits. You know why? Because in your best days, you say, bring it on, let's go. Shower the blessings, right? What about your worst day? You see, Elijah in this moment, this was his watershed moment. He took all of his strength, all of his energy, and he had this mighty victory. And he said, God, you owe me blessing because I did this. And he's subtly teaching him the gospel. He's saying, listen, Elijah, I'm not transactional like that. You don't do A and I give you B. That's not how it works. The gospel is me doing my plan for your good, and sometimes you don't understand it. you got to understand the gospel. Let me give you the third part. So we learn renewal by the wonder of his grace. He comes to us in our own ways that's not like everybody else sometimes. By the work of his grace, that it's the gospel that we want to interact with God on, not the law or transaction. But ultimately, it's by the word of God's grace that Elijah's renewed. You see, it wasn't the wind or the earthquake or the fire that got to Elijah. It was the voice of God that finally got to him. He is reminding him that it's not always in the spectacular or the most dramatic things that change people's lives. Sometimes we sort of want God to do something big and dramatic, right? I'll finally believe if you just show up and do something miraculous or overwhelming, then I'll have no choice left to believe. Here in this story, we see it's actually always been and always will the word of God that changes people's lives. Okay, watch. Luke 16, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and Lazarus. Remember this story? And the rich man and Lazarus both die. They're carried off to the um, to Hadean realm, and they're separated. And the rich man wants Lazarus to continue to serve him. He says, I want my tongue, or, or dip, dip finger in water and put it on my tongue because I'm so hot. And he says he can't. There's a chasm between us. And then the rich man says, will you send Lazarus back from the dead to tell my brother so that they don't come here? Meaning, if somebody comes back from the dead, finally they'll believe it, right? And Jesus says, they have Moses, they have the prophets. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't even believe a guy who's raised from the dead. It's his voice. It's his word that always connects you to God. Always. This voice renewed Elijah. It restored his purpose. You see, God sends him back there at the end and empowers him to get back to work. And it's vital for you to see this last point. How did Elijah get to the voice of God? Notice down in verse 11. Look at this with me, okay, and we'll be all done. Look in verse 11. Verse 11 is when God tells Elijah to come out of the cleft, right? I want you to come out of the, of the cave of the rock. But does Elijah come out then? He doesn't. Elijah stays in the cave. The rock is covering him. The rock is hiding him. And then the wind comes and destroys the rock. The earthquake comes and shakes the rock. The fire comes and burns the rock. And then in verse 13, look at this. It says in verse 13, And when Elijah heard it, the still small voice, he wrapped his face in the cloak. And then he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He didn't do that before. 
You see, God tells them to come out from the protection of the rock, but he doesn't. The wind, the quake, the fire, destroy the rock, and then he comes out. The rock took the force of God's wind, God's earthquake, and God's fire, so that then Elijah could hear God's voice. Now, centuries later, God would bring Moses and Elijah, the two guys who hung out in that cleft. God would bring them back to another mountain called the Mountain Transfiguration. And there, Moses and Elijah would see Jesus in all of his glory. And they talked to Jesus about his pending death. And there, in that moment, Moses and Elijah see the rock that sheltered them from the wind, the earthquake, and the fire so that they could receive the voice of God. Do you see that? Jesus Christ is the rock that took the wind of God's judgment. He is the rock that took the earthquake at his death. He is the rock that covered you when the fire of God's wrath comes. And now that God has expressed that wrath against sin, you and I can quietly walk out and receive the voice of God and be renewed. Jesus did that for us. You see, when you and I see Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his love, in all of his majesty, it melts your heart into friendship with him. It draws you near to him. It lets you take all of your frustrations, exhaustions, and disappointments and put them in light of what he experienced and said, man, nobody greater than him. And I'll follow him all the way to the end of my life. And in that connection, you find the renewal you need from every exhaustion life's going to throw at you. Learn from Elijah to hide under the rock when the judgment comes, to come out and hear the still small voice of God and be renewed to walk with him in the purpose that you have and God has for your life. Let us help you do that. If you need help, won't you come as we stand and sing?